Good morning and welcome everybody. You are listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across the Faith FM network wherever you are in this amazing country of Australia. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Mon, good morning Lyle. Good morning Mon. How's it going? Good. What, yeah. are you, what are you thankful for today? I'm grateful that I found my hairbrush for the second time this week. You can't have the same thing twice. That's against the rules. Look, I, I, I found can't it, even have it and the I same was so happy year. that I, I put it somewhere super, super safe. And then, of course, it was so safe that I don't even know I could remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I lost it again. But I'm really grateful I found it once again the nick of time when I was running what out the door. What do with you, Mon? What you are, are you grateful a, for this I morning? I am grateful for the sun. Oh, how come? Because it, I just think it just does my head in how it produces electricity. It produces electricity? Yeah, yeah. I'm building a solar system at the moment for a new oh. Faith FM transmitter. Oh, how yeah, cool. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome transmitter up on top of a mountain. And, of course, I've got to build a solar system for it. And so the sun is going to make electricity. How does that even happen? That's amazing. Gonna, this like Where's awesome. this mountain? Stanhope. Okay, Stanhope. I have no idea where that is. Uh, it's in the Hunter Valley. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. It's kind of out in the bush. It's on the edge of the Hunter Valley, and one of the one of the mountains uh-huh. on the edge of the Hunter Valley. Uh-huh. So, it will uh, the, tra- the the transmission will will stretch all the way from Singleton to uh, to the edges of Newcastle to Curry to Cessnock, Brankston, Greta, everywhere in between. Well, that's something to be the grateful whole of for. the whole of the M15. That's definitely God something willing. to be grateful for. Yes. Hey, if you have something that you want to share with us about your gratitude for the day, give us a text zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We love hearing gratitude stories, and sometimes we share them on air. Now, yes, something about right now uh-huh. is that it's not now. It's yesterday. Oh no, it's not now. It's not now. It's not now at all. We are recording. You think this. it is now, but yeah. it is not now. Yeah. So we recorded this on Thursday, the second of August, and I know you think this is a live show, and it is a live show. You can actually jump across to the live show because this is a delayed broadcast introduction. And you'll hear on the live show the news will actually be up to date. Yes, all the stories will be like on schedule. So yeah, but it's actually very easy. You know, it's not difficult to go to the live show. You can just jump across to our uh, website, which is. Facebook faithfm.com.au and press play on the live stream or you can download the TuneIn app. Just get the free version, search for Faith FM Australia and press play on that. But we are doing something very, very special for all of our delayed broadcast listeners. We are giving you a chance to win the scarf that Mon made. Simply send us your name and phone number and we will draw it yes. for the next week. We're and going some, to give some lucky person. Yeah, so yeah. both live show and delayed broadcast people yes. get to get the scarf. Yeah, so don't we stress. Don't really do that. But, you know, stuff like the quiz and the giveaway, it often goes to the live show listeners. So, But this scarf we're going to give away for both. So stay tuned. We're going to have more details. Tells about coming up after this song.
I'd be condemned an earthly slave And in heaven have no place If not for his to Alison Brooke, if not for his love, here on Faith FM as we get started into our breakfast show with a breakfast show quiz. And Indeed. I'm just going to smash this one, one. Gear up your brains, <laughs> y'all. It's time for the quiz. This is a Who Am I quiz. It is a Bible character. And our first two clues are already on Instagram. Go check them out. Like, you need to put your phone on silent, don't I you? Did. How unprofessional of you. No, it's on silent. What's going Everybody on? Everybody, click your tongue at Lyle. Mm, naughty, naughty. Yeah, okay. Turn it off. Come Faith on, FM Live is our handle on Instagram. You can judge, go check out our Insta story. The two clues are already up. But here is the first clue. Who am I? At the age of 62, I took over as king after Belshazzar was slain. Do you know who that is, Lyle? Always got that thinking yes. face. Oh, okay. Darn it. 
Never mind. <laughs> if you know the answer, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. This is from the book of Daniel. 1-800-324-843. What do you expect? I mean, That number is again 1-800-324-843. If you think you know the answer, give us a call. I just about know, I just about know the book of Daniel off by heart. <laughs> the only reason I had a question... No, no, I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm bragging now. But um, the only reason I had a questioning look on my face was because I was trying to figure out why my phone won't go to silent. Oh, is it on? Let me have a look. No, no, it's, it's, I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Don't touch it. Don't breathe. It's don't not breathe. on silent. It, it, it is. Oh, I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, it's Yours is an old model. You usually have a little... a little. When you flick it to silent, think, you should see red. <laughs> I think there's dirt underneath the And you can't see switch. the red. Yeah, and yeah. The switch isn't going all and the way down. And your fingernails aren't long enough. My fingernails are plenty long. I'm going to use my compressor. Or we could just tell your wife to stop <coughs> texting you. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> could do that. No. I'll use my compressor when I get home and hit it with 120 PSI. You reckon your phone will survive if you smack it with an air compressor? I, I smack it with the air compressor regularly. Okay. Well, that's yep. all. Yeah, clean out the um, little thing where the battery charger goes uh-huh, in. It gets full uh-huh. of dirt. We are going to talk about this more in a second. Like, and, and it works great on Apple computers where you've got a little magnet thing and it gets full of metal oh, shavings. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just blast it with the air compressor. But you'd think you'd want like a sucking device as opposed to like a blowing device. Well, I don't have a sucking device. I have a blowing device. Do they have, you know how fine. air compressors are really, really powerful at blowing air? Mm-hmm. Is there something that's just as powerful in reverse? Because you can't say a vacuum cleaner is as powerful as an air compressor, can you? That sucks at 100 PSI. Um, <clears throat> not that I've heard of. Okay. I mean, I've seen some pretty good, you know, some little, um, some of those ones that they use in hospitals, you know, for, for vacuuming oh, out people's yeah. mouths. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, that and the dentist and stuff. And the dentist, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that's ah. something that's sort of vaguely yeah. within the realm, but no, nah, not even close. I get scared that if I blow like air compress, you know, to clean out dirt, I'm only going to push the dirt further yeah, in. I've often wondered about that with yeah. my phone. Yeah. I wonder whether when it eventually dies and I pull it apart, whether it's going to be packed full of <laughs> Den- densely packed. Densely packed it. <laughs> hey, it's still working. It's an old phone, but it's still working. So. We are actually, it's surprising we're going to be talking more about <coughs> this in just a minute, Lyle. Mm. But before we do talk about that, I want to talk about the beautiful scarf that I am. Oh, by the way, if you have a way of cleaning out the. Uh, oh, yeah. If you know something that does suck it, what is it, PSI 100, give us a call. <laughs> or, or, or a way of cleaning out that little slot where your phone charges when it gets full Plugged of dirt. In, yeah, yeah. When guys the sound always comes have dirt out. in their pockets. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> a better way than an air compressor and a high pressure nozzle, then let us know. Give us a heads up. Okay, so I have <coughs> been over the past week and a bit um, crocheting this beautiful blue scarf live on air. Mm-hmm. And we've been putting pictures up of it on our social medias, and people have been loving it. People are to bribe me to become the winner. Yes, they, but we haven't announced yet how you we, become a winner. We haven't actually announced how you can even win this thing. And uh, you can't bribe me with pies. I've had to oh, so pies are sit out. myself down and have a chat with myself about not Does accepting that bribes. Muff, muff, muffins are in? <laughs> no bribery is happening whatsoever. This is Faith FM, oh. Christian <laughs> station, okay. Lyle. No bribes. So what we've decided <laughs> we're going to do... Because we also have uh, quite a bit of a reaction from our delayed broadcast, list- broadcast listeners. Yeah, yeah, they want to get it too. Yeah, they want to get it too. And so if we do something like call now and be the first caller, they're going to miss out. And a lot of our a lot of our um, programming is delayed. For, for you who are listening to this right now, what you don't know is that this show it is, yes, it is live. It's recorded on Thursday, the 2nd of August right now. Uh-huh. And, uh, and tomorrow it actually plays again in various locations of various towers. So some people around Australia <clears throat> actually listen to the show a day late, sometimes even several days late. And they, of course, miss out on the quiz. They miss out on the giveaway. They miss out on all the good stuff. And uh, and because we've put up pictures of this scarf and we've been banging on about this scarf for a while now, everyone wants to have a shot 
at winning this scarf. So we've decided we're going to let them. Yeah, so this everyone is, gets a shot. Yes, absolutely. Equal shot at it. Uh, equal shot. So this is how you can win this scarf. All you need to do is give Marta, our producer, a call and just register your details. Just say, hey, Marta, stick me in the hat. I want my name in that hat. And uh, she'll take down your name and your number. And uh, and it, I think on Monday or Tuesday, we're just going to... We're going to take a name out of the hat. We're going to take a name out of the hat. <coughs> and that is that. So that's how you can win the scarf. So And you can call us any time of day. There's not like some particular time when the lines are open. They're open all the time. We've decided so just... So 1-800-324-843. Or text us on 0491-064-669 or... Send us a message on any of our social medias, yeah. Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Any of those any of those right there, any uh-huh. of those platforms, and we will simply add your name. But the easiest is to just give us a call. Just get on your phone, give us a call. Absolutely. We know right. people don't call much anymore, but hey, 1-800-FAITH-FM. <coughs> we faith w- we will not miss you if you give us a call. Yes, and we will remind you throughout the show and over the next uh, day or two um, that you can call and register for this beautiful scarf. It's a, it's a woolen blue scarf that I have made. It's got beautiful fringe on either ends. It is... It is suitable for both men and women, for young and old. I've made it um, non-gender specific and uh, it's just a thing of beauty. You can go check out um, all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I put up a picture yesterday of Lyle modelling it. Larry handsome and blue scarf. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, if my you fir- would- My first modelling job and last, I'm sure. <laughs> You didn't get paid much, did you? <laughs> if you would like to have a crack at winning that, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. Lyle, yes. let me tell you about the good news. I was hoping you were going to get to some good news this morning because we're nearly yes. out of time. Maybe I'll give you some of my time if I get... No, no, it's all right. It's all right. So, you know how when we charge our phone, we usually have to wait quite a bit? They have discovered uh, new materials that can actually completely reduce the charge time to minutes. So waiting for your phone to charge might be a thing of the past. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, so researchers from uh, University of Cambridge <coughs> I'll have- i get very undisciplined if this is the case because at the moment I plug my phone in every time when I go to bed. Yeah. But if I had one of those, you know, when I used to have those old Nokias that used to last forever and I yeah, used to charge yeah. it once a week. Charge a month, yeah. And uh, of course I was very undisciplined back then. It would go flat on me. Well, this is great because um, these researchers have identified a group of materials that can be used to make even higher power batteries that can charge in a matter of minutes. So they have uh, it's a complex crystalline structure, and they have found that lithium ions move through them at rates that far exceed those of typical uh, electrode. Um, materials, which equates to actually a much faster charging battery. So, um, if you're not sure how batteries work, uh, so they're based on two, two or three crystal structures, and uh, and at how fast they move across mm-hmm. is how fast you can charge your phone. So uh, these ones. Just absolutely astounding rate of moving across the two the two materials, and therefore they charge faster. And um, but they're just trying. So how long is it going to take me to charge my phone? Like literally a matter of minutes. Yes, at the moment it takes me a matter of minutes to charge my phone. I mean, to get to one percent, a matter of about, yeah. and then you, know, you can use it while it's plugged in. Eighty minutes. Yeah, so I mean, the batteries are made up of a positive electrode and negative electrode and electrolyte. And when the battery is charging, the lithium ions are attracted from the positive through the crystal structure to the negative, where they are stored. So the faster you can get this into storage, okay. What I'm more interested about is how quickly I can charge my car. 
Oh, good grief. Because, no, 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 seriously, if I can charge my car in like 30 seconds, then I'm going to go and buy an electric car. Well, do you know what? I'm <laughs> so sure they, if it. they perfect this for a phone, I'm sure they can transfer this yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, cars. Yeah, super I mean, exciting. it'd be like the next step. The only thing they're working on right now is just how to make it completely safe because, you know, batteries aren't always the safest things. And so they're just, they've, they've perfected the charging, you know, component. Now they're just yeah, to make it safe it. so it doesn't blow up or no, melt or, fine. you know, get into good. trouble when you take it on a yeah. plane. Yeah. So, I'll, yeah, I'll it's, it, that's good news, though. Can I'll you imagine? Charge it outside. Yeah, whatever. Although I hate to think what this is doing to the environment. Let's um, let's maybe like research that first. Anyway, this is Melissa Otto with the song Take You Home. You shouldn't hear those awful words If I could shield your Tears are an old thing that you used to know 
Uh, uh, Melissa Otto with You Take Me Home, <coughs> the journey home here on Faith FM. As we come to the next part of our breakfast show, and let's have another clue for our super easy quiz this morning. At the age of 62, who took over from King Belshazzar when Belshazzar died <coughs> in Babylon? <coughs> okay. Clue number two, I issued a decree forbidding to pray to any god or man except me for 30 days. Mm-hmm. There you go. Bit of an ego He trip. was not Babylonian, by the way. Neither was he Persian. Oh, he wasn't? He was neither of those. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. Giving away more clues. And he was not the general who conquered the city of Babylon and killed Belshazzar. Oh, I'm giving too many clues away. Yeah, I'm getting nervous. Ah, this is a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It it's is just a really awesome. Good story, I've got yeah. a, I've got a whole series on this. Give us a call, one eight hundred Faith FM. If you think you know the answer, we will give you the prize if you get it right. Okay, so we have um, coming up in today's story. We have uh, once again, um, and, and I get sick of reporting on these stories. We have uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, Bishop Ronald Grainer. Grania has identified 71 priests whose names are going to be stripped from church properties. So these are 71 priests who, you know, that, yeah, you name a, a building after a person. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be stripped. You know why they're going to be stripped? Why? Oh, the usual. <clears throat> because they've got just have a, uh, a, having a grand jury there in the state of Pennsylvania um, looking into clergy-based sex abuse and um, they've found 71 priests within their diocese um, who have been implicated in that one through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and so they're pulling their names off. That's a, uh, that's, that's a lot of names uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, being rem- removed from church properties. And once again, it highlights that the Catholic Church has a major, major problem here that they need to take some very serious uh, steps to address. You know, this is this is huge. This is, I mean, <clears throat> you know, and this is just ahead of the report that's about to be released. They're like, oh, there's a report coming out, so we better do something about this. So we've got to pull all these names off of buildings. You know, there's over 300 priests that are named in this report just in this one diocese. Yeah, yeah. And and the re- the grand jury is covering six dioceses. You know, this is the the, the, the American equivalent of a royal commission. And, you know, this it's just <clears throat> out of all proportion of um, you know what happens in the general population or within other churches, and you have to ask yourself why. And when you look at um, you know churches are targeted by pedophiles, we understand that because that's where they can they can build trust and they can groom. But why is it the Catholic Church clergy is so overrepresented? You know, when you look at other churches, um, the level of clergy involved in child sex abuse is actually lower than the general population, which is it should be. But the Catholic Church is, is way higher. And once again, I'm, and I, I know I've spoken about this before, and I'm going to speak about it again. You've got to look at two things right here that are creating a perfect storm of trouble um, for the Roman Catholic Church. One is celibacy of the priesthood, and which the Bible describes as a doctrine of devils. Mm-hmm. And the second is the confessional. You know, the confessional is almost like, you know, your perfect custom designed, you know, uh, you, you could not design a better grooming device 
you know, if you sat down and worked at it for a year. I'm just astounded that they – do they have – they not figured it out themselves? Do they not realise that? <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting thing because this is only something that's really been coming to the light in the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. If you go back 100 years, there was a man by the name of – or maybe 150 years – man by the name of Charles Chinnicky who was a Roman Catholic priest who left the Roman Catholic Church – uh, wrote a few books, you know, 40 years in the Church of, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, something like that, uh, in the Church of Rome. And, but he wrote another book that was called um, The Priest, the Woman, and the Confessional. Okay. And in that book, he detailed the questions that priests are taught to ask the people that come to them for confession. Mm-hmm. And basically what he outlined is that the confessional is a grooming device. It is a grooming device for grooming young women. It is a grooming device for grooming young men. It is a grooming device for grooming children. Now, of course, his book was, you know, it was accepted by, you know, your your hardcore Protestants. And by the rest of the population, it was seen as being just, yeah, this is conspiracy theory. You know, and, and, and in modern times, it's been promoted by conspiracy theorists, which hasn't helped the book any. But what we're seeing coming out in these grand juries and in these royal commissions that uh, are taking place around the world is that he was telling the absolute truth. This is no conspiracy theory. This is actually what is going on within the confessional. You've got a priest who goes in there one-on-one alone with a child. You know, when allowed to do that in ministry you know, outside of Roman Catholicism. Um, He's going to then talk to that child about that child's sexuality and what that child is involved in in their sexuality and what their parents are involved in. He's going to be able to understand whether that child is vulnerable or not vulnerable and then he's going to be able to build... um, uh, confidence with that child. He's going to be able to place emotional blackmail on them because he knows that child, all that child's secrets. And then, of course, he has that he has that child in his power. And of course, you then add that to the fact that he is he is burdened with the unnatural celibacy. And of course, you've just got a, a perfect storm. Charles Chinnicky described it as a deep pit of perdition for the priest, a modern Sodom, and it should not be tolerated by modern society. You know, and of course, we do tolerate it because you know, I'm a mandatory reporter. Mm-hmm. Every minister in Australia is a mandatory reporter except the Roman Catholic. And we keep talking about Roman th- Catholic priests are not mandatory reporters because of the confessional. We keep talking about this on air because we want people to be safe. We want people <coughs> to know that this is the danger of the confessional. And if you have kids, do not take them to no, confessional. Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. You can take your children to Jesus Christ. Amen. He will never let you down. He will never groom your children. He will never te- treat them in a bad way. Take, teach your children to come to Jesus, to come to Christ where they can find forgiveness and find freedom from guilt and pain and suffering and all of those, you know, things. You know, children are afflicted by these things because children experiment sexually, mm-hmm. you know, as the, as the hormones hit. It's just a fact of life. And, you know, if they're feeling, you know, guilt or shame or whatever, take them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't take them to some creepy environment in a locked up box talking one-on-one with another man. Yeah. Especially because Jesus is the one that has the power to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so that's my, uh, you know, we're going, I I refuse to apologize for this and I'm going to continue highlighting this because this is a a critical subject and it's bringing, you know, sadly, um, it's bringing 
Christianity into disrepute across the board because, you know, how often do you and I meet people and we talk about our Christianity and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, those bunch of pedophiles. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and that's all that they see. When people mm-hmm. look at a church, it's like, yeah, it's just, anyway. Um, interesting news, um, philosopher Stephen T. Asma okay. has just released a book, Why We Need Religion. Okay. Raised as a Roman Catholic, older mm-hmm. boy, all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he is arguing that uh, religion evolved as a self-protective, adaptive, supportive, therapeutic, and ultimately subjective practice. It is an emotional survival toolbox that resides in the limbic brain headquarters of human emotions as true as love or grief or fear. I really hate that viewpoint. It's <laughs> because I okay. have had so many atheists tell me, oh, you just need religion. That's your, it's, it's your, it's your well, crutch. Karl it's, Marx yeah. invented it when he described it as the opiate of the masses. And he wasn't talking about um, opium as being a bad thing. Mm-hmm. He was actually saying opium is a good thing because it, it takes away pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what you've got, and this always interests me, <clears throat> you've always got these atheists and they are always desperate to find an explanation for religion. That's right. You know, they're so de- true. They're just desperate for it. You know, there's there's what, 200 million atheists in the world. That's what, 2.6% of the yes. population yeah. of the world are atheists. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so then they look out at, you know, the vast majority of the world that are religious and they're like, okay, wait a minute. How is that possible? And rather than asking the question, do these religious people know something that I don't, they try and come up with a scientific explanation for why basically everybody in the world except them, or everybody in the world except them, is religious. It, yeah. They need and to. So they've always got, and, and, and they haven't actually, he hasn't come up with anything new here. This is just mm-hmm. Karl Marx repeated over, regurgitated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they need to question themselves a bit more like, <laughs> why do you need to find a reason so bad for there not to be a God? I think that's the question. They need to try and ask themselves a few questions. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and of course, their desperation to find an answer for this just reveals the fact that within every human being, there is a God-shaped hole mm, absolutely. that only God can fill. And if you have that hole, that feeling of emptiness in your heart, fill it with Jesus Christ today because he is a perfect fit and he will make it work for you.
to Faith FM. We have a special part two this morning. Of course, yesterday we heard from Esme Branner, her incredible story uh, of her time being married to a Muslim, um, living in Saudi Arabia, having her children kidnapped from her and taken to India. And here today we have another special guest, her husband, Arthur Branner. Good morning, Arthur. How are you? Good morning, Monica. It is lovely to be here in the land down under, and I thank you so much for this opportunity to share this time with you. Now, you're from Pontiac in Michigan, right? That's correct. Now, I just wanted to ask, is that where the cars come from? That's correct. It's oh, it about is? 30 miles north of Detroit. Oh, well, Detroit, there you go. of course, is Motor Town or Motor City, as they call it, simply because the car industry resides there, and that's where Pontiac cars are made. 
Ah, how about that? It wasn't a coincidence. <laughs> I knew it couldn't have been. <laughs> Pontiac's not really a common name, so I thought there must be a connection. Now, Arthur, I'm so glad you joined us today because yesterday your wife's story was too big of a story to, to stick to in one, so today we're going to um, interview you for yours. And I guess we'll start at the same place that your wife started. So let's talk a little bit about how you grew up. Yes, I grew up in a two-parented home, and uh, my mother was a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, in fact, she brought her religion and faith to uh, her family, to her mother, and we grew up with those values in our home. My mother was the spiritual leader. My father was not a Christian, and so we were taken to church every single Sabbath, and uh, I gave my heart to the Lord at a very tender age of eight years old. I find it a little bit remarkable that I guess you grew up the way that Esme had to raise her children um, in Saudi Arabia, teaching her kids uh, religion different to um, her ex-husband's, whereas you know what that's like as a child. Yes, yes, indeed. And I felt the pull of God upon my heart at a very tender age. I can remember one day as I was sitting in my living room and I heard the voice of God speak to my heart and tell me that I was special. I didn't know what that meant. I went and told my mother. But as I look back on things, I recognize that that was God's call upon my life, as I would later find out a call to the ministry. Oh, wow. Well, before you got called into ministry, you did spend a little bit of time out in the world. So you did leave the church. Was that like a conscious decision or was it just, you know, that gradual sliding out the back door of the church kind of a, a, a leaving? Well, when I was 14 years old, I had the unfortunate circumstance where my parents parted and divorced. And unlike most children who go with their mother, my father gained custody of my brother and I. And so as I was with my father, who had no attachment to religion whatsoever, it was during that time that I kind of went my own way during my high school years. And it wasn't until later, after getting out on my own, after having graduated from high school, that then I turned my heart to the Lord. But that came through a a set of events and circumstances. Actually, it's quite a story. Share it with us. Yeah. So I was I had graduated when I was 17 years old and I was out in the world on my own, doing my own thing, had no intentions to serve God. I was out in the world womanizing and going to parties and partying and going to different clubs and all of the all that the world has to offer and living life on my own. And not only that, but I was trying to go to school when I could and I was working and I had three jobs. And one day as I was going to my job, I lost my first job through a set of events that I, till this day, I can't believe how it happened. And then after I left there hanging my head, I went to my second job and there mysteriously out of nowhere, I lost my job again. I went to my third job that day and also I was told by my boss, we're we're moving locations for where we are. Isn't that great? And I told my boss, I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I have no car. I have no transportation. He says, well, you're going to have to buy one. Well, that was essentially the last I would ever be able to to uh, to uh, go to my job because I had no car and no money saved up. And so there it is. 
all in one day i lost all three jobs had no money saved up didn't know where i was going to live what i was going to do and this began the first time in five years that i'd ever called out to god i fell on my knees and said god if you get me out of this situation i promise you i'll serve you all the days of my life I'm so glad you did turn to prayer because, I mean, losing three jobs in one day, there does seem to be something a little supernatural about that, doesn't it? Oh, I'm telling you, I look back on the situation and realize it was nothing but God. Amen. So how did God get you out of this one? So my father had been telling me, son, listen, you're going fast nowhere. You're on a treadmill. It seems like you're advancing nowhere. You're going to school and you're doing, you know, you're trying to work at the same time, but you're not really doing either one of them very well. So, son, why don't you look into the military? My father was a military man. He had been in the army for four years. And uh, so I at that time, I had no interest. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I don't I don't care to go in the military. That's not something that I desire to do. But he kept insisting. He says, son, okay, well, just do this. Do me this favor. Why don't you at least just look into it? And I, as a promise to my dad, I said, okay, I'll do that. So I did. I had went down to the downtown recruiting station and talked with the recruiter and uh, even sat down and took what's called the ASVAB test. That's your qualifying test to find out, you know, where you would score and what type of job you would have in the military. Well, being that I had been out of school for a couple of years, years, I was academically rusty and didn't have, you know, hadn't been, you know, too, too, uh, too often reading things or, you know, involved in anything academically. So I didn't score very high, which was no problem to me because I didn't want to do it anyway. And so the day that I lost my job and I cried out to God, I said, if you get me out of this, this mess, I promise I'll serve you the very next day. That same recruiter called me on the phone and said, is this Arthur Branner? I said, this is he. And he said, uh, listen, this is Sergeant Johnson. You were down at the downtown recruiting station about two weeks ago. And today I received two allocations from the Department of Army with people like yourself who so scored just a little bit low on their ASPEP score. Would you be willing to go in with under one of these allocate and before he could finish i said yes and where do you want me to sign up oh wow and so you joined the military essentially i did i did and this would begin a chain of events that would totally and radically change my life because i kept up to my deal and i said lord you got me out of this mess I was essentially homeless, had no money saved up, didn't know where I would live, where I would go, what I would do. And so because God kept his promise and provided a way for me to have a roof over my head, I said, OK, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. And I determined be to go back to the faith that I was brought up in. I turned back to the God that I knew was a faithful God that I had felt tugging on my spirit as a little boy, eight years old. And so I did. I began, even as I went into the military, determined that I would keep the Sabbath no matter what, even if it meant that if if I were backed into a corner and had to face a court martial and face prison time, that I would keep my faith. 
I would hold to the Sabbath and honor the Sabbath day no matter what. Now, your newfound convictions, they were actually challenged uh, while you were in the military, were they not? They were. On several occasions, I came up for duty to work on the Sabbath. And I would just consistently pray, cry out to God, Lord, you brought me here. You got me into this situation. I believe you called me here, so you're going to have to rescue me. And for four years, without hesitation, and there were times that I came right up to the wire, even an hour before it was time for me to report to duty, and inevitably, someone would either come up to me and say, hey, uh, Branner, would you take my time so that I can have your duty because I need to be off on next week, uh, next Thursday? And inevitably, God would do this time and time and time again. And I would literally see him do this for four years without question. He would rescue me so that I could continue to witness my faith in the place where he had me. Wow, that's truly incredible. Now, with your time in the military, is this how it led to your time in Iraq? Because there is actually a documentary made about your time in Iraq, is there not? It is, it is. Well, actually what happened is I finished my time in service after my four years there in the military. And uh, and then I went into... I went to school. First, I went to Andrews for my undergraduate degree and my bachelor's. And I continued there at Andrews in the seminary to get my master's in divinity. And this and is while, where you met your wife, right? At school? That's, that's ah, where yes. I met my lovely wife, Esme. And it was during that time while I was in the seminary that I found out about the chaplaincy program. And because I was so favored by God during my experience, and it was such a a positive experience in the military, I thought, hey, maybe I could go back as a chaplain. And so I pursued chaplaincy training and was able during my time there at Andrews to go to chaplain officer basic course in Kentucky, uh, in the state of Kentucky. And uh, it was there that I was able to go. And when I received my first call to minister in in California, it was there that I also signed up for the California National Guard. And uh, it would be later that I would then come up on orders to go to Iraq. Wow. Okay. So you went to Iraq. Um, you were there from 2004 to 2005. And, uh, mm-hmm. and Whitehorse Media did indeed make a documentary about your time there. Share, us, uh, share with us a little bit about what happened with your time there in Iraq. Well, let me kind of back up and just share with you a pretext to the things that happened leading up to my time going there. It was in 2003 that I received a phone call from my mother who had told me about my brother who was uh, who had seemingly was deathly ill. My brother had contracted leukemia as a result of his lifestyle practices. And this had been un- not unlike any time that it had happened before. My brother had on many occasions been hospitalized and he'd always come through. But this particular time, it was different. My mother said to me, son, you need to come. And I said, well, mom, you know, I've always seen my brother get into trouble. He goes in the hospital, he comes out. She said, no, this is different. And so I went and actually uh, went there, went in the hospital. And the shock I received when I walked into that hospital room, my brother was just 
almost unrecognizable. He was almost totally emaciated. He was uh, unconscious at the time. He was even on life support. Mm. And the, 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 the doctors at the time came to my mother and I and said, listen, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to do too well. And uh, you need to decide whether you want him to remain on life support or, or you know, should you have him removed. After much, much prayer, my mother and I considered and thought about it, prayed very hard. And we said to ourselves, you know, God is a miraculous God. And be it if he's on a machine or not, God can uh, preserve his life. Mm. And so we made the tough decision of, of having him removed from life support. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, I watched my brother on December 23rd, 2003, 3.30 in the morning. Um, I watched him pass away. And that was an event that was so heart-wrenching. And uh, he was 36 years old. And uh, he was four years younger than me. And it was during that time that after that event had taken place and I returned back home, 33 days later, as I'm returning from a board meeting at my church, that I received a phone call from my mother again. And uh, as I'm driving, I put it on speakerphone and my mother says to me, son, where are you? I said, I'm driving home. She says, well, pull over. And I said, okay. And that gave me some concern. And uh, she said, well, no, son, do this. Call me when you get home. And I said, mother, you're scaring me. What's going on? She says, son, pull over. And when I pulled over, the news that I heard from her mouth would forever change my life. She says, son, I don't know how to tell you this. But your, your father was in a plane crash, and he instantly died. Mm. This was 33 days after I had lost my brother. In, a, in one month's period of time, I lost half of my family. It would only be a few short months after that, that event of having lost my brother and my father that I would then be called up to go and minister to soldiers in Iraq. Oh, wow. Arthur, we are going to have to leave it there. We will be doing part two of this interview tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow if you would like to hear how Arthur, when he's at one of the most broken moments of his life, still has to go to Iraq, one of the most dangerous places on the planet, and minister to other people and how that all turns out for the glory of God.
forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Hey, Mon. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in miracles? Look, if God can change my life, I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh, yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. 